This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. The following episode is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Welcome to Material Is Your Business. I'm Stephanie Benedetto, and I'm joined by my co-host, Samantha Cortez. Hola. And we're recording live at Coterie in New York City. And if you as a business have ever struggled with wanting to work with other countries but not knowing where to go or what to do, then this is the show for you. We changed up the style a little bit. In the next three segments, we're going to take you around the world from Peru to Africa to Guatemala. We talked to Marnie Leopold of the Trade Commission of Peru and New York. Mary Marino of East Africa Trade and Investment Hub, and Lucia Palacios of Vestex in Guatemala. Join us on this fun ride, which starts right now. This is Material Is Your Business, a podcast covering the science, technology, and business of materials and manufacturing. Produced by Mouth Media Network, powered by Sennheiser. Your hosts for this episode are Stephanie Benedetto, CEO and co-founder of Queen of Raw, and Samantha Cortez, international consultant and founder of Samantha's Platform. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, my name is Marnie Leopold. I'm the commercial specialist at the Trade Commission of Peru in New York. And what do I love about materials? I'd say the quality and how it feels on my skin. We're sitting down with Marnie Leopold, the commercial specialist of the Trade Commission of Peru in New York. Hi, Marnie. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Good. Thanks for having us. Oh, we're excited to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. So when, when I first met you, you described yourself as a matchmaker. What does that mean? <laughs> Can I, someone get a date through you? Yeah, or? not me, though, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, part of, a real big part of my job is making introductions between the USA designers and brands with Peruvian factories and manufacturers. So I kind of take some of the guesswork out and waste of time between the two, knowing the USA industry and knowing the Peruvian side of things, for them to bring their manufacturing parts of their collection to Peru. And why Peru? Ah, that's... How much time do we have, Stephanie? (laughs) Why Peru? Um, I'd say it all starts with the quality. You know, Peru is known and has the best raw materials in the world, from Pima Cotton and Alpaca, my personal favorite, and Vicuña. And then Peru has, you know, this long textile experience of turning them all into, you know, finished garments. So that would be the first thing, why Peru... Peru is also known for its uh, social and environmental responsibility, which you cannot find really their standards anywhere else in the world. A lot of the, most of the factories have um, the international certifications, whether it's GOTS, which is an organic certification, or RAP, which is a responsible certification, and others, fair trade. So that's really becoming important, you know. There's no, you know, kids being handcuffed to uh, workstations in Peru where you'll find or fires, you know, burning down in other parts of the world. So correct me if I'm wrong, but in the matchmaker services you provide, even here in New York, you don't have to be in Peru to do this. Someone based in the United States 
designer, creative of any size can come to you and be able to kind of bridge that gap? Because so many times you find designers who are want to do more and want to look international for all of the opportunities. And where to start. And where do you go and what do you do? And they're stuck. Or they want to be sustainable. And so through you and your organization, tell me a little bit about the services you're providing or or what they come to you wanting to do and what you enable them to do. Well, yeah, through the Trade Commission of Peru Office, we have the office based here in New York City. So, you know, over the time, you know, designers know who we are or we reach out to them as well. They say, hey, I'm looking for, you know, sustainably sourced sweaters, or hey, I'm looking for these, you know, printed t-shirts or things like that. They'll they'll contact us or we'll contact, you know, them just telling what we do and think of some, you know, a bunch of different factories that could work for them. I know you do amazing clothing, but besides clothing, is there any other products that you do sell to uh, the exterior? There, Brew is also known. There's some leathers and manufacturing for shoes and handbags and, and things like that. But I'd say the majority of it is really in the, in the fibers, in the fabrics. Would you just sell the fiber to bring into another state and get it produced? You certainly can, can do that. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things we do like to focus, absolutely, no problem, the fibers, the materials, brew exports to other countries, other factories in the world, as well as to designers themselves. But I would say we really like to focus on the full package manufacturing where a designer or a brand can go to Peru and get everything kind of from A to Z, from the fiber to the garment to shipping it to, you know, finished garment shipping to them. And one of the other amazing things of going back to what we said before, why Peru, it's duty free. Peru still has a free trade agreement with the USA, with Canada, a bunch of other countries, so that's another benefit for people working there. How long is that until? Just curious. Uh, I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but so far, <laughs> but so far, what's going straight? You know, it's still, uh, it's still in play. It's still in place. Yeah. To that point, we are in such an interesting political, social, economic time, and of course, through any challenging, interesting, unique times, there's opportunity here. Have you seen recently with what's been going on both in the U.S. and around the world, kind of an uptick in designers and people looking to source internationally in Peru artisanal goods and do that start to finish work? I think it's been going that way as a trend, you know, the past few years anyway, but with regards to, yeah, what's happening in the world and the climate, yeah, people are getting nervous about some of the other countries that they manufacture in. Are agreements going to be pulled? What's going to happen? Prices? Things like that. And that's another real easy reason to come to Peru, for sure. It's very stable. I'm not an economist, so I really can't, you know, really speak to that so much, but... The economy of Peru is stable. It's growing. A lot of the exports, not just in manufacturing, is growing. So it's real. It's a real easy place to you know work in. And it's very safe, actually. I've it's been incredibly safe <laughs> and delicious. Yes. I mean, the food, the food and the pisco. <laughs> Besides the um, the manufacturing, I mean, actually promoting their manufacturing and promoting your manufacturing. What is your, um, I know you have a trade show. I went there a few years ago. We do, we do a bunch of different initiatives throughout the year, and, and as we go on, we're kind of adding more along the way. But, for example, we have a, very, a real big one, which is amazing. It's called Peru Moda. 
and that's in Lima every April. It's a three-day show where it's really the best of Peru under one roof in manufacturing. So it's all the vertically integrated factories, all the different manufacturers, all the different materials, so from Pima and Alpaca and Vicuña, all the blends, all under one roof. It's a, you know, sourcing person, executives, heaven kind of thing. So that's every April. We're starting to do some more things in New York. We just did a, a big initiative um, in July, a little mini Peru moda, if you will, here. And some other ones along the way. I'm working on another event called uh, Sur Exporta, which will be in October in Cusco. And that will be geared towards um, alpaca. Talking about matchmaking, it's a one-day event of kind of a speed dating meetings between between uh, USA companies and Peruvian factories. So that'll be pretty neat, also. What a great idea! And obviously, we're talking to you now live here at Coda Resourcing yeah. at Magic in Javits. So, what does it mean for your organization to be here? Obviously, you're doing all these initiatives in Peru, but why also here in New York? Why is that important? Well, we like consistency. You know, we we need to always be out there. I mean, just always being on the mind of USA designers and brands and companies, and that we are here and and we do you know, great work in Peru and, you know, they should get involved. Beyond just the materials and fibers that you produce, which are so extraordinary, are there certain kind of technical skills that are really unique about what Peru can do from either an artisanal level or a mass production level? I think one of the things that's exciting about manufacturing in Peru is the range. So it's everything there, you know, technologically advanced, you know, with respect to machines used and capabilities. So they have all the modern sewing machines and things like that, digital printing, all that kind of stuff, all the way through the, the women's co-op, hand-knitting sweaters, you know, piece by piece, and then everything in between. So I think Brew is this amazing mix of, you know, the modern with the age-old craftsmanship. So you really have opportunity and variety there, kind of something for everyone, if you will. How did you get into this to begin with? <laughs> yeah, that's, that'll take up the rest of the time here. Um, I've grown up knowing about Peru. My parents had started traveling to Peru in the 80s when it was a little bit funny time to travel there. Um, so I grew up with, you know, with a love of knowledge of Peru and, and all things Peruvian. And then about three years ago, a contact of a contact of mine just made an introduction for me to the trade commission, you know, the director of the trade commission. A matchmaker, too. Exactly. <laughs> and I just haven't looked back since. It's, it's great. The director is great. The colleagues are great. Peru. So Lucky. do you know Spanish? Oh, God. <laughs> what is, I knew that question was coming. Um, yeah, my five words. I can order my lunch. And, no, I, I understand Spanish, and I can read Spanish, but I wouldn't call what I do speaking it. But that's good to know that you don't necessarily have to to work in these countries. So many people are worried about language barriers. I don't speak Spanish. I, pe- I speak French on peu, but, you know, in general, it, you don't Everyone have to. Everyone there speaks, speaks English. And with an organization like yours, you can get access to this, and that communication becomes not so much Even a just walking, yes, for sure, but even just walking through the airport or the concierge in the hotel or the 
server in the restaurant. I mean, English is, is really prevalent there, so I've never had a moment of discomfort there, you know, in all the times I've traveled. So with what you've seen kind of historically since you've been involved and where you see it's going, do you have any predictions or thoughts on, on where we're going and, and what opportunities there are for Peru and for growth for businesses? Anything that's trending, any particular material you think people aren't paying enough attention to? Ah, uh, yeah, that one, the last one kind of hit it. Um, everyone knows Pima Cotton, and Pima Cotton is amazing. I would say alpaca is a little bit the stepchild fiber in the world of knitwear, you know, in the world of knitwear. Um, alpaca is such a, it's a luxury fiber, so it competes, you know, with the cashmere and, you know, and with the big boys in terms of that. Um, I mean, alpaca is lightweight, it's breathable, it's hypoallergenic. Starting with what I, you know, we started the conversation with, it's so soft and feels so good on your skin from a personal perspective. And then from a design perspective, there's so many options. I mean, one of the biggest things we, you know, we try to do is kind of busting the myths of alpaca. And one of the things is, is that it's only good for your heaviest winter sweaters, and it's just not. I mean, alpaca is really a three to four season a year material, lightweight. Do they end up blending it with different type of uh, components? You can blend it, you know, there's all different types of alpaca itself, but absolutely whether you bl blend it with, with cotton, with bamboo, with synthetics to make it kind of airier and bring the price down wool, silk, linen, really, there's a lot of options. Your production development is pretty reasonable then. Okay. That's there. And just to end with a fun kind of personal question, um, if you weren't working here, what would you be doing and why? What would I be doing and why? You know, for really a first time in a while, I am so happy with the work that I do with the Trade Commission. That's really not a line. You know, it's, I wake up every day and I'm happy to be there and coming up with ideas on the nights and the weekends. Did, did you always want to do this or as a child did you have an... Lucky. It's really how it all came about for me personally was, was time and, and place. I usually go for about, you know, anywhere between four or five, six days. I eat ceviche, lunch and dinner, lunch and dinner, lunch and dinner, lunch and dinner, <laughs> ceviche, and uh, coupled with some pisco. Oh, sweet. I'm a <laughs> Sounds delicious. Yeah. Let's all go find some right now. And Marnie, how can everybody contact you? Um, at the Trade Commission of Peru office in New York, which is my email. So my name is Marnie Leopold. My email is mleopold at iperu.nyc. Great. Thank you so much, Marnie, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a commercial break, and when we're back, we'll be speaking with Lucia Palacios, the Marketing and Promotion Director for Vestex in Guatemala. Back soon. Hey, everybody. This is Vikram Iyer, former advisor to President Barack Obama. Have you been opening your Twitter account or Facebook feeds or even just talking to families and friends and wondering what the heck is going on in this country? Well, it's not as bad as you think. 
but we're going to unpack that for you. Join me at the American Enough podcast on the Mount Media Network as we unpack the policies, executive orders, and daily kerfuffles that are shaping not just this administration, but the modern face of America's politics. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. And hear all of our episodes on materialisyourbusiness.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. Okay. Hi, my name is Lucia Palacios, and I'm the marketing and promotion coordinator for the Apparel and Textile Association from Guatemala. And what I love about materials is that they make you feel comfortable. Uh, fabrics, especially, depending on the fabrics that you use, they make you feel like you're in your own body. Hi, we're here with Lucia Palacios, the Marketing and Promotion Director of Vestex, the Apparel and Textile Association of Guatemala. Hi, Lucia. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So we're excited to understand what does that mean? Well, the Apparel and Textile Association of Guatemala represents all the industry, meaning it represents the textile mills that we have, the apparel manufacturer, and the services and trimmings with all completely, they make the a full integrated supply chain for the apparel industry. And what I think I found so interesting in getting ready for the show and talking to you was that the number one export in production in Guatemala is around textiles and fashion production, is that correct? That is correct. Um, 20 or 25 years ago, the main exports of the country were coffee, sugar, you know, the agricultural products. But uh, since the industry has started, it's been more than eight years that the industry has been the first, the, the apparel and textile have been the first exporting product out of the country because it, they add a lot of added value which comes up to almost 50% of the value of the product. That's incredible. So here you really have an industry that is shaping and changing and supporting in a major way all of Guatemala. So how did this organization come about and what does it mean to kind of bring that community together under one body? Well, it started with the Guatemala Apparel and uh, with the Guatemala Exporters Association. They started out uh, representing all the exporting products that were not traditional, which was the traditional ones is coffee, sugar, and cardamom. But we also have others like, let's say, shrimps, fruits, veggies, and under that category fell uh, apparel. And then it started to grow because of the closeness to the United States. So then this association was created to see all the different topics that apparel and textile might take you. Labor, training, promotion, access to market. So that's why this association helps out and represents all the, all the companies within the sector. And I... I was actually, well, this is one of my first jobs in the industry was traveling to Guatemala and doing production. So um, Guatemala is like a little close to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, you, what type of garments would you say that you specialize in? Our specialty are knits. 
more than 70% of the production of the country is knitwear. So we are pretty competitive in knit tops for women or men uh, or children. And the, and the specialty that has been growing up um, for the past three years has been uh, synthetic tops. For example, we specialize, of course, in cotton or cotton blends, knit tops, but synthetic now with all the athletic wear and, and uh, sportswear that's been going on, um, we have been able to take advantage of the closeness of the availability of, of uh, materials that we have in within the region and make it competitive in order to uh, export these type of products to U.S. So do you create your own fabrics? Are you considered vertical mills or you or you we import have, it? Well, no, we have, we have um, fabric mills that they produce sin- from spinning to all the way to, to delivery, the, the, or, the already made garment to the U.S., the others, they work, you know, subcontracting mills and getting their raw material from Central American mills or U.S. mills, and then they export it to U.S. They sew it, they pack it, they do the finishing, and they export it to U.S. And as, you know, U.S., for example, brands are looking at opportunities to work with other countries, clearly proximity with Guatemala, it makes a lot of sense. What are some of the other kind of value-adds or benefits that make it a, a good place for, a, example, a large or small U.S. brand to work with you? Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. Uh, as, as you were mentioning, small or, small or bigger brands, that's what we have. We have flexibility. We have bigger companies, medium-sized companies small companies so we have the main brands starting from walmart let's say massive brands and let's say we have under armour lululemon and uh, reebok and nike so all there are there is a lot of flexibility in our production first the closeness that we have to the u.s it's irreplaceable we have two ports from the atlantic and the pacific as well uh, the wells the well-integrated supply chain that I was mentioning to you before, we have, again, we have spinning mills, so they start from the fiber until they put the last button or the last plastic uh, bag in the garment and ship it right away, the services. So as you can see, even the, the industries of around 400 companies that they supply mainly to the U.S., 80% to the U.S., and we have... Um, innovating culture people are starting to innovate with their own brands with sustainable um, products like recycling we do the the you know the extraction of the pet from the plastic bottle some of them are working with the scraps and they do it again they 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 make it again as a fiber and as a fiber they need it again so So it's an innovating culture it's pretty exciting, the industry. It is interesting. And to what you just mentioned in terms of small and large brands, mm-hmm. I think there's um, this misconception where people assume when you're working with certain places around the world, including Guatemala, maybe it's only servicing smaller industries and it's more artisanal or handcrafted. And that, that's not necessarily all we're talking about mm-hmm. here. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's important. Kind of as we're looking at opportunities and trends of where the world is now and mm-hmm. maybe where it's going, mm-hmm. any places of kind of growth or opportunities you see either for Guatemala and its exports or for the U.S. to be looking more to Guatemala for? 
Yes, we are, as, as I mentioned, we're trying to do some more innovative things and being more competitive. And so we are bringing in a lot of technology for finishes. For example, the, the industry that you mentioned, we call it hand, handcraft industry. There are still some handmade textiles. There are still some communities working with typical textiles of the country. And there is a, a market for that. Us, we represent the, the industry part that is massive. So it's more into apparel and textile. So um, Guatemala serves uh, the United States pretty much. As I mentioned, 80%. And um, the other thing that we're working with is we, we are always trying to keep up with our market trends demand in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So if you're needing sublimated garments, that's what we're doing. If we are, so, and we have a quick response, right, because we are so close and we, this is our main market. So we have to act, react fast to every market trend or every change that United States customers or buyers make. Sure. And what have been some of the challenges either for the association or on a high level? Is it around pricing or logistics or, you know, changes in policies going on? Any particular challenges or difficulties in, in moving the supply chain and in growing? Well, the, we're always, there's, the industry is always challenging in different parts. For example, like um, with a global point of view, we still have a lot of competitors, especially from Asia. Um, Haiti is close to us and is growing. Uh, again, even though they, they make different type of garments, more basics, but still they are a direct competitor. Central America as well. We still have some competition um, in regards of pricing because we are not ever going to compete with Asian prices right yeah. our minimum wages are not the ones in that the ones in asia and our value added is higher so our the the garments that we do they're not basic they are uh, well embellished and that is something that uh, differentiate differentiates us from other countries regarding um, other challenges that we have anything that happened to us Anything that usually happens to the U.S. market represents a challenge to us. Let's say if Trump would have decided to go ahead with TPP, it would have affected us, for example. Thank God he didn't. So, yes. so one question. Um, I see that you were here with uh, Guatemala Trade Commission, um, with um, Diego Diaz. How much did the Trade Commission um, help and sponsor and... and, and holds your organization's hand. Oh, yes, we work hand in hand with the trade commissioner from New York and Los Angeles that and that is where the main offices are. They usually help us in also into finding new buyers, new customers that want to pursue any type of business in Guatemala. The government of Guatemala, for example, the Ministry of Economy, they have a program that sometimes aids these companies, they have to be a small or medium-sized companies in order to provide them, you know, air tickets or uh, booth payments yeah. to exhibit in different industries, not only in the textile and apparel, but in different industries. So yes, we work hand in hand with the, with the government. And obviously, I can understand why it's so important for an organization like yours to be here at Coterie and Sourcing and Magic and 
in Javits, New York, but how about your own trade shows and organizations? I know when we spoke, you said you're, you're very active and very involved in doing your own as well. Yes. We have a show every year in, in May. It's usually at the end of May. And this type of show, as I was explaining to you before, it reacts to every type of market changes that we have. For example, we're focusing next one in e-commerce, right? As um, everything is changing, retailing is changing, so we see the main topics happening in the U.S., we react and we put it in an exhibition floor, a seminars uh, program, and a matchmaking meeting program where you meet buyers and factories directly. Do you have any manufacturers of machines that are participating into your show? Of course. Well, we don't manufacture machines per se in Guatemala, but we have a lot of representations from Italian, German uh, machine machinery. So they exhibit at our show. So what do you like to eat when you're here? <laughs> when I'm here? <laughs> In the U.S. compared to all the arroz and oh. frijoles negros de Guatemala. Well, what I <laughs> usually love to eat when I'm outside home, it's usually uh, sea bass, which we don't get it that often there, mm. and duck. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lucia, for joining us on the show. How can our listeners connect with you and with the organization? Uh, yes, you can go to our website, which is www. .bestex.com.gt and my email address is L as in Lucia Palacios my last name at apparel.com.gt Great. Thank you so much Lucia for joining us. Great having you. Thank you. We're going to take a little break and when we're back we'll be speaking with Mary Marino the Trade Linkages Consultant for East Africa Trade and Investment Hub so stay with us. Hi, everyone. This is Mark Rako. I'm one of the hosts of Fashion Is Your Business, another great show on Mouth Media Network. If you like the podcast you're listening to, Material Is Your Business, then I bet you're going to love Fashion Is Your Business, which intersects fashion, technology, and innovation, and also American Fashion Podcast, which Harper's Bazaar calls for the true fashion nerd at heart. Both shows and a whole bunch of other great podcasts are all available at MouthMediaNetwork.com. And when you do listen, let us know you heard about them on Material Is Your Business. Thanks a lot, and now back to the show. This is Mary Marino. I'm the Trade Linkage Consultant for the East Africa Trade and Investment Hub. And what I love about materials is that they all have their own personality. You can be a knit and you can be kind of molding to the scene and you can be a woven, you can be very rigid. But at the same time, the wovens like to become soft like the knits and the knits like to become structured like the woven. Hi, we're here chatting with Mary Marina, the consultant for the East Africa Trade and Investment Hub. Hi, Mary. Hi. How are you? I'm great. It's been a great morning. We've been very, very busy today. It's day two at the sourcing at Coterie, and we are really ecstatic to be here. Fantastic. And thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. So... East Africa Trade and Investment Hub. Can you tell us a little bit more about what, what does this do? We are a facilitator. We are based in Nairobi, Kenya, though we have consultants like myself all over the U.S. 
And what we do, our mission is to educate both on the U.S. side and the East African side about the AGOA, which is the African Growth Opportunity Act, and what AGOA can do for importers in the USA and what it can do for exporters in East Africa. African Growth Opportunity Act is a trade preference agreement. It is in place in this edition until 2025. And the big high-level picture is that imports under the AGOA are duty-free into the U.S. And the criteria for that is quite flexible in that the component parts, fabrics and trims and notions, can be imported and originate from anywhere in the world, which is quite unique in a trade preference agreement. That is a very kind of powerful opportunity that I think many people don't know about Africa. And, and the way you just described it, which seems to be the theme of the day, is this is this matchmaking. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you are the facilitator, the connector for U.S. apparel brands to find these opportunities and access these manufacturing resources in Africa. And what does that process look like and who have you worked with? Well, it's a, it, the process is um, like any matchmaking process. You you um, have connections on both sides. The first step is really for us to be in East Africa, in the factories. And this isn't just large factory. This can be a small to medium enterprise where it might be female owned, which is a very big part of what we do, female empowerment. Many of the key players in the small to medium enterprises in Africa, and I'll list the countries in a moment, are female entrepreneurs. They are female owners. They run their businesses. And that's been very powerful statement coming over here into the U.S. and presenting those female-owned companies to female-owned buyers and designers here in the U.S. What I did notice, and a lot of the manufacturers are here, that they have a um, they have their own businesses too. They design and create their own products. <clears throat> well, it, it's true. It's a, it's a it's a balance. It's a matter of. The um, contracted manufacturing kind of keeps the lights on, but then they can be creative, which is one of the things that's happening in our industry where the buyers and the manufacturers here are stateside are actually looking for their suppliers to bring some innovation, and especially in a place like East Africa where there are some very unique techniques that can only be seen there. For example, Madagascar, they do beautiful, beautiful handiwork. So taking that and collaborating with a U.S. buyer would be a great opportunity that you might not normally have. The um, Jumping back over to how we facilitate that, we go into the factories, whether they're small, medium, or large. We see what kind of products they make, their structure, also their personalities, if you will, because sometimes you might have um, a very um, open kind of communication between uh, the buyer and the seller that works and other communication uh, the buyer and the seller needs to be a little bit more rigid, if you will. So the, um, the walkthroughs that we do into the factories is really not so much to certify them. We do not certify factories. Our factories are certified by RAF and ISO and other well-known um, third-party organizations. But we like to go in and see what they're doing, what may, they might not realize how good they are at a particular product that might actually be on trend in the USA. We help them become uh, compliant. For example, there's a lot of children's wear manufacturers that need to understand the compliancy factors to be able to export into the U.S., which is something that's very, very specific to the U.S. So we basically go through and soft vet these factories and to see what we can then bring to the table on the U.S. side. And then we all have been in the industry 
for a while. We know a lot of buyers. We know a lot of designers. We, we come to trade shows like Sourcing at Coterie where people are looking for options in sourcing. Um, I say diversify. If you have all of your production in any one country, now is a very good time to diversify. Um, we bring them in to, we bring our suppliers into sourcing at Coterie and sourcing at Magic and other type uh, opportunities where they can show their capabilities and buyers can get to know these factories one-on-one. So you mentioned children's. What other markets do you, do you, does your country concentrate in? Well, actually, in the, uh, at the Trade Hub, we have uh, several linkage consultants like myself in other sectors. I handle apparel. We have, um, I have a, a colleague who is in footwear. I have another colleague in accessories and home. We have someone who covers coffee and specialty foods. We have someone who covers fish, fresh-cut flowers. Those are all products that come into the U.S. duty-free under the AGOA. So we're all working in our own specific sectors to beautify this relationship between U.S. buyers and the potential that there is under the AGOA in East Africa. And those countries that I was mentioning are Kenya, Ethiopia, Uganda, Rwanda, Madagascar, Mauritius, and Tanzania. That's really where the bulk of that uh, concentration is for us under the East Africa hub. And it's so interesting. When we were chatting earlier, there were two things you said that really stood out that I think people have a misconception about. One is you assume that with Africa there are language barriers and people have a hesitancy to wanting to go into there. But you said no, that that's not the case at all. Not not the case at all. In fact, you know, we forget that Africa is a very large continent with many, many countries, and many of them were British-owned, so everybody speaks perfect English. Uh, Certainly, if you speak French and you're in Madagascar, you might have one up. But at the end of the day, I speak English. I speak English only. I've traveled most of the countries I just mentioned, and I have never needed an interpreter. So, and then that's fantastic. And the other thing you mentioned that I think was very interesting is people may have a certain conception about AGOA and what you need to do to be compliant and to take certain benefits out of it. And as I understand it, you do not need to source your fabrics and your trims from Africa in order to be able to use and take a benefit from it. Is that correct? Correct. And actually, one of the greatest benefits being duty free with the um, with the huge growth in athletic and athleisure wear, which is predominantly a synthetic-based product, synthetic duty coming into the U.S. is between 27 and 32% on the average. And if you can save that duty coming out of East Africa, you can still buy your specialty fabrics from Taiwan or Asia or um, even high-grade fabrics from Italy or Turkey, even in woven cottons. All of that can be imported into an East African region and cut, sold, produced, and exported into the U.S. duty-free. What would you say in manufacturing, what is the the most interesting, um, or, or not more interesting, versus what is their um, specialties? Honestly, it's, it's a matter of which country may have um, some raw materials. For example, a country like Uganda, which has a tremendous amount of some of the best cotton in the world, a lot of the manufacturing is actually in um, a sustainable cotton or in cotton where they can really put together a vertical operation. But um, that doesn't mean that's all Uganda makes. They also have another factory in Uganda that actually has a vertical weaving of synthetic woven fabric. And then they do full garment um, and that's a huge savings in synthetic. So it depends on the country. but. You can make knits, swimwear, woven shirts, woven pants, denim, 
a huge business in denim. Uh, footwear, as I mentioned, though that's not apparel. You said scrubs too earlier, scrubs, right, which is a huge market. Uh, scrubs and yeah. uniforms, huge market. And part of that is because they're already set up for that. All these factories didn't just come up overnight. They've been in business, but their business has been predominantly Europe and South Africa, and some in their domestic market. So under the AGOA that gave them the opportunity and with the hub support to really help them and groom them and uh, in some cases mentor them as to what product, how products should be caught, the costing for the U.S. market, uh, the compliances, the testing, everything they would need to know to be a um, certified vendor uh, for a U.S.-based company. Do they do higher-end garments, like dresses and formal wear? Absolutely, absolutely. There are women's sportswear companies in Madagascar. I was just speaking with someone this morning who came to me and said, really, I'd like to make some cashmere jackets in Mauritius. There's a uh, factory making bespoke blazers and rain wear under very prestigious name brands. And so it's a matter of what would you like to make, how much would you like to land it for, and really what we do is try to match make the appropriate supplier with those buyers. How did you get into this business? The business at large or the business in Africa? Both. (laughs) The business at large came about in a very interesting way. I was uh, thinking to pursue New York through the performing arts and um, had an injury that suddenly put me in a position to have to pay my way through school. I went to a clothing store to work after college hours just to kind of pay the tuition and thought, hey, I'm pretty good at this. And so I came to New York and uh, fell into a training program at Bloomingdale's of all places. That's what we did. We went back through Bloomingdale. I started as a retailer and then I decided, hmm, I kind of like the other side and uh, flipped over to the manufacturing side and worked for multiple companies, traveled the world. I love product development. I love sourcing. I love that whole idea of startup and getting something working from the ground up. So this uh, Africa segue in my career has been quite interesting. Uh, came about because I was working with a company um, product development, uh, sourcing for various brands, and uh, they had a division that segued into a cotton initiative out of Africa, and through networking, trying to figure out how to get that cotton made, I came across the idea that, hmm, I actually need to go to the fabric people, and then I need to get to the manufacturers, and um, was fortunate enough to meet the people at the hub who engaged me in this project. Very interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> actually, funny enough, it happened at sourcing at Coterie. Uh, uh, no, not at Sourcing the Coterie, but it did happen at one of the shows here at the Javits Center where I started to meet up with some of the a- other Africans. So, As you're kind of looking at the industry where it is now on a high level, uh, not necessarily with respect to the East Africa Trade Investment Hub, but and where it's going, any predictions or thoughts or commentary on, you know, we're obviously in a, in a unique time right now on, on what we can do to improve it in the business and the industry at large? Well, I think one of the biggest things that I hear all the time is, you know, pricing is so strategic in the relationships that um, companies have with their retailers. And if you can, there's only so much you can squeeze on the product side. I mean, if you're making a t-shirt, then you can't take much out of it to get to a price. But if it's synthetic and you're paying 32% duty, that's 32% on your costing sheet. You can't get anywhere else. So you need to look at those opportunities. 
It is a bit fearful that you don't have an agent on the ground. For example, you might have an, an agent sitting doing all of the administrative and logistics. Those could be some hurdles in the beginning, but anything worthwhile takes a little bit of you know, hard work and effort, and both parties need to be involved and engaged in getting it to where it needs to be. But those are all things that all the governments are also working on in terms of uh, transportation infrastructure and logistics. So, you know, as any country, um, it starts to develop more and more, those things will work themselves out. And there are some very large companies already with boots on the ground with major um, manufacturing uh, capabilities, in particular in Ethiopia. So those things are coming because the bigger companies are pushing it. Is there a lot of vertical mills there, like vertical uh, operations? Not as many. There are. And there are pockets. In uh, Mauritius, there are some vertical. Vertical is actually easier in the, and actually more efficient when it's a cotton-based product because okay. cotton is in the region. But um, for the most part, um, the components are imported. Okay. It depends on the segment, the sector. On a personal level, other than Africa, favorite place in the world to travel? Well, if it doesn't have a beach, then I would say Florence, Italy. I worked for an Italian company for a very long time, met my husband there, and that's really what I would consider my second home. Oh, where do you go to eat there? Uh, my mother-in-law. My husband's a chef, and my brother-in-law is a pasticciere. So between the pasta and the sweets, I'm covered. We're coming to your house to eat next yes. time. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mary, for joining us. How can our listeners connect with you? Uh, I am available at the East Africa Trade and Investment Hub, and um, we have a very intriguing website. Um, actually, we're upgrading that, too, because we want to make even more accessible. Uh, if you fly by and you say, oh, I saw East Africa Trade, you should be able to go onto our website and type in, I'd like to do denim jeans and be able to see in which country we can offer you suppliers with denim jeans. So the hub is definitely working to make it very accessible. Great. We'll check it out. Thanks again, Mary. Thank you. Take Have care. Have a great afternoon. Wow, that was very productive. Yeah, it's so interesting to see how there are these amazing opportunities all around the world that are easy and accessible and cost-effective for businesses. And if you don't know where to go, what to do, the tools are there, and now you can find them. Yeah, and understanding all the cultures and understanding all the way that they... That type of ways that they manufacture is really interesting. And really enhanced design. I mean, it can help you take your creativity, your collection to the next level. There's a lot of extensive conversations that could follow from this. Absolutely. That's it for this episode, recorded live at Sourcing for Coterie, taking you around the world. Thank you so much for listening. And for Samantha Cortez, adios. I'm Stephanie Benedetto. Go change the world, everyone. Back soon on Material is Your Business. This has been Material Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at materialisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Material Biz Show. That's Material B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, materialisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.